0: Disability Justice Group refuses to appear alongside Government of Newfoundland and Labrador in protest. Bonnie Crombie is the new leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Ontario ends automatic coroner's inquests into construction workers' deaths. CBC Radio-Canada may cut up to 700 jobs. And mystery surrounds the death of a Canadian journalist in Sierra Leone. Good morning. It's Monday, December 4th. I'm Nora, coming to you from Burnaby, British Columbia, and here are your headlines. We start this morning in Newfoundland and Labrador, where the Coalition of Persons with Disabilities refused to appear publicly with the provincial government for the International Day for Persons with Disabilities. That day is marked on December 3rd, which was yesterday. Executive Director Nancy Reid said this, quote, This year, I could just not in good conscience sit at the table with the minister responsible, contributing to an illusion of inclusion of persons with disabilities. I think that if we were to sit there, it would really contribute to some kind of facade that is just not real, unquote. This comes from a report from Alex Kennedy for CBC News. One of the key issues in that province is that it just amended the Buildings Accessibility Act, it will remove a clause that exempted buildings built before 1981 as being exempt from the Act, which originally seemed like good news, but then it was written to only apply to buildings that are being renovated or added onto. The government ignored her group's concerns that the amendment would continue to entrench inaccessibility in buildings. The province's digital government and services spokesperson said this, quote, We recognize that our work is not done. We support the concept of continuous improvement and truly see this as an ever-evolving piece of legislation that will shift and change over time. We will continue to engage and listen to those persons with disabilities, accessibility advocates, and the people of the province to build upon these recent amendments, unquote. Oh, my God, what a lunch of blah, blah, blah. Hmm. The province is also changing the definition of what a disability is, and this has also enraged the group and others in the province. They are removing sensory related disabilities from the definition of disability, which Kennedy reports will include, quote, neurodiversities, communications disabilities, and intellectual disabilities, unquote. Next to two stories from Ontario. The first, the Ontario Liberal Party which has been all but over for the years of Doug Ford's reign, has elected a new leader. That leader is current mayor of Mississauga, Bonnie Crombie. She's also a longtime politician. Crombie, as mayor, obviously does not have a seat at the Ontario legislature. She has been mayor for three terms. Alison Jones and Liam Casey from the Canadian press report that Crombie relishes, quote, getting under Doug Ford's skin, unquote, and that she's excited to face him in the next election. The name of the game for Crombie is to rebuild. After having held power for 13 years, the Ontario Liberals have not had enough seats to even hold party status. In this race, Crombie was the most right-wing of the four candidates. The others were longtime Liberal politician Yasser Nakfi, Liberal MP Nathan Erskine-Smith, and MPP Ted Sue. The vote went to three rounds of balloting, and the final ballot included Nakfi. Despite having agreed to swing their supporters toward each other, In case either NACVI or Irksine-Smith were down on the ballot, NACVI supporters actually handed Crombie the win. Crombie was the obvious choice, someone who I figured would win since she entered the race. She's close to developers, but she's also opposed Ford on fundamental issues, like his decision to de-amalgamate the region of Peel, which includes Mississauga. What will be very interesting to watch is how many people leave Trudeau's office or other cabinet ministers' offices in Ottawa to come and help build this team for Crombie. I suspect that this is the start of her rising star, the end of Doug Ford, and unfortunately... The rise of Pierre Polyever. Next to some very bad news, again in Ontario. The Canadian press is reporting that Doug Ford is looking to end mandatory coroner's inquiries at construction sites. The argument for why? Well, coroners in Ontario are currently overloaded. Instead of being mandatory, families or construction industry folks can request an inquest. And it is true, it takes a long time for coroner inquiries to actually happen. I get notices for coroner inquiries all the time, and the deaths are regularly from very long ago. But this article by the Canadian press is woefully inadequate. It only features the justification for doing this from the Solicitor General, Michael Kersner. There's no voice in the piece saying, Hey, wait. This is a government that is way too close to developers, and this change takes advantage of an overloaded system to let construction companies off the hook for inquiries when someone dies at their work site. Could there be a connection between these two? I don't know. There's certainly no connection between these two in this article. Because after we hear from Kurtzner, the unbylined article goes right into another change that this omnibus legal package is proposing. They want to make it easier for victims to sue convicted offenders for quote unquote emotional distress. They also want firefighters to give out whatever the version of a parking ticket for a firefighter might be. And this ultra-important new law to make it illegal to grow pot in homes that operate daycares. That's it in the article. There's no comment from unions or victims' families. I wonder if they'll make it easier for families of workers who are killed on the job to sue negligent employers. Next, Le Journal de Québec is reporting that up to 700 jobs at CBC Radio-Canada may be cut. Employees of the corporation have been invited to a meeting with CBC's CEO Catherine Tate to talk about the quote-unquote financial struggles that are facing the public broadcaster. Jean-Philippe Guibault says that based on several sources, they are expecting some 300 jobs to be cut in Québec alone. Corporate communications for CBC refuses to say anything more before the meeting between Tate and the employees. The union that represents Radio-Canada workers did not reply to a request for comment. Tate said that the corporation needed to cut $100 million in costs over three years. There has already been a hiring freeze announced. Yubo reminds readers that recently, Quebecor announced 500 job cuts, Metro Media closed down, and Bell cut 1,300 jobs. The CBC employs 7,960 full-time equivalent jobs all over Canada. Now, recall that cuts at the CBC are ridiculous. The government could give money to CBC directly and make these cuts unnecessary. And so, remember that when we hear Pierre Paulyever talking about defunding the CBC, the Liberals are doing the same thing. They are just not bragging about it. But don't worry, friends. Sandy Nora is not being cut at least not yet. And finally, The Globe and Mail has quite the story about the death of Stephen Douglas Lett in Sierra Leone. Douglas was a journalist, and you remember last week what happened in Freetown, Sierra Leone? There was something that has since been called an attempted coup where several dozen people were killed and more than 2,000 prisoners were freed. Well, Douglas said that he had heard what was happening. He was talking to a Globe and Mail reporter who's not named in the piece, and he said that he woke up to the sound of gunfire. Cooper Inveen is reporting that he left to see what was going on at about 10 o'clock in the morning. He said he hadn't heard gunshots or explosions in about 20 minutes, and so he decided to jump on his motorbike and look around. Shortly after, his body was found slumped over. The official line from police was that he had a heart attack. It was near his apartment and he was interviewing witnesses about what they had seen. Douglas had taught many local journalists and among them, rumours started to spread that Douglas might not have died of a heart attack. Rumour had it that he had died from a gunshot wound. At a press conference two days later, Cherner Ba, the information minister, gave a eulogy for Douglas and said he had died from a heart attack. But journalists pressed Ba on his claim and eventually he admitted that his cause of death was unclear and that an autopsy would be scheduled sometime in the future. The Sierra Leone Association of Journalists is demanding answers. Douglas started his career off as a photojournalist. He covered the final days of apartheid in South Africa and the Rwandan genocide. He taught in various colleges before moving to Sierra Leone in 2009. Kelvin Lewis, former president of the Association of Journalists and owner of Owoko newspaper, said that Douglas, who volunteered with the paper for many years, would, quote, stay long hours into the night at our office editing stories. Stephen always wanted to help people, always trying to work with journalists to make them better. He was such a genuinely kind man, so caring, and would go out of his way to help at any chance. Starting in 2018, Douglas spent time trying to figure out what happened to an American citizen who had been murdered when she came to visit her father in Freetown. Her father was a prominent politician. He often visited the man who was charged with her murder and had planned to write a book about the case. Those are your headlines for Monday, December 4th. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at SandyAndNora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you have a great Monday, start of a new week. I hope you got some snow wherever you are. It's raining here. And, uh, you know, as usual, I'll talk to you tomorrow.